Welcome to the GRF On The Go podcast. The subject matter experts at GRF CPAs and Advisors created this podcast to offer insights on current topics, as well as new ideas and best practices that your team can apply today. This podcast was originally presented as a live webinar. CPE information provided during the podcast is no longer valid, but if you're interested in watching the video version of this session or accessing the slide deck, visit our website at grfcpa.com forward slash events. Enjoy the episode and remember to subscribe for future content. Welcome everyone to today's session. What is a cybersecurity program? Darren, if you don't mind, thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> all right. Uh, so what is a cybersecurity program? That's all of the policies, procedures, things that you do in order to help, you know, mitigate your cybersecurity risk. So we're going to talk about that today. Uh, we had previously done a webinar, I think it was a few weeks ago, maybe last month, um, you know, really kind of talking about how you do that cybersecurity risk assessment. And I believe that is on our website for you to view. Um, so really, how do you how do you figure out what your risks are? And now we're going to focus on, OK, so now how do we build that cybersecurity program? Um, so again, I'm Melissa Musser. I am the partner and director of risk advisory services here at GRF. And our risk advisory services are comprised of enterprise risk management, enterprise risk management, ERM. And that's like, you know, really helping folks understand how to report the top risks to your board. What's your methodology for identifying what those top risks are and how they impact your strategic plan? So that's a really big area that we, we love to work on and cyber is almost always in that category. Then we have internal audit and then obviously an awesome cybersecurity team and wonderful cybersecurity software. Um, I'm a CPA, CITP and a CISA, but I'm gonna um, turn it over to um, Darren who can introduce himself. He is our, I guess you could say our chief hacking officer. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, add that, I'll add that to the title. Um, so yeah, I'm uh, Darren Hulam. I'm a CISA. I have my Security Plus uh, Certified Ethical Hacker certifications. I also have um, some vendor specific ones such as like Cisco, um, SonicWall, uh, and a variety of other um, smaller ones. Not as cool ones like the CEH. That's probably the coolest one. Oh yeah. Um, love doing our, I have ISO, an ISO certification as well to do um, ISO um, internal audits, um, lead auditor, um, ISO, ISO 27001. I know we'll go into a lot more depth uh, later in the in the slide deck and a little demo about some tools we use. So uh, yes, a little bit about me and obviously please feel free to ask questions throughout it. We can answer those questions as they come in. Um, but yeah, I guess we can get into a little more of the uh, GRF stuff. All right, thanks. And uh, feel free to connect with us on LinkedIn, send us an email. Um, you know, we'd love it if we would have been able to be in person and you guys could come up and ask us questions afterwards. We could shake your hand. Um, can't do that, but we can do that on LinkedIn. So really, please do not hesitate to put a question in the chat or to just, you know, reach out to us afterwards. We, we really genuinely um, just want to help. So we're um, GRF CPAs and advisors. We're located in the Washington, D.C. metro region, but we service clients um, throughout the United States and also internationally. Um, we, we have a very large international footprint, and that's kind of really one of our niche areas that we have, and we're very proud of it. 
Okay, so our agenda today. Um, so um, wanted to go over the cybersecurity pathway, and we discussed that in a previous um, webinar. I love this little pathway because I think there's a lot of confusion, and it really helps to simplify it. And I am a big fan of simplifying things, and especially something like cyber to be able to break it down. I think it's really helpful. And then we're going to talk about cybersecurity frameworks and why it's important um, to really kind of benchmark or benchmark yourself against them or be aware of them, even if you don't have some kind of compliance requirement to do so. And, um, and then we're going to go through um, some recommended kind of baseline policies everyone should have. I'm sure many of you may be coming from different backgrounds, but we want to give you some kind of, you know, basic takeaways, even if you're the smallest of organizations, here are some things that are like bread and butter stuff you need to do. <laughs> All right, so little cybersecurity pathway here. So really first thing you have to do is understand what is your baseline. So, you know, what is, I, I even like to take a step back even, what is your organization's strategic plan, right? Where do you wanna go? Where do you see yourself? And what are the risks to you achieving those objectives? That should be, you know, step one in any type of risk assessment that you're doing. So, you know, we're, how does cyber play into that? You know, what what could make you not achieve those objectives? Is it your systems being down for X number of days? Would that be catastrophic or can you go months? Or is it some kind of sensitive information breach? Do you have certain, um, you know, we do work with a lot of international organizations. Are there certain threat actors that are actively trying to pursue you? So really, first of all, we got to figure out what's our context. We can't just grab a template off uh, the internet and just be like, this is our policy. And it doesn't really make sense. I mean, I guess it's better than nothing, but it's a requirement every year. You should be assessing your risk and then designing the controls based off those risks. If you're, if you know anything about, you know, the financial environment, that's a requirement when designing internal controls in general, right? So that's your baseline. Um, the next part is then once you know your risks and your threats, then you design those policies and procedures. And we're gonna focus on that today on how, how to really kind of break that down and do that. And then, so, so now, you're, now your program is designed, right? So once something's designed, it needs to be implemented. And so obviously your employees need to be informed on what your policies and procedures are. And they also need to be informed on what those top risks are that are happening. Um, you know, what are the threat actors doing? You can invest all sorts of money into cyber monitoring, cyber audits, all kinds of technology, but if one person clicks a link, you're toast. And so they've done some studies and found that that's one of the most affordable um, cybersecurity practices you can do is, you know, educating your employees. So we'll talk about that briefly. But again, we are actually going to do another webinar. We haven't set the date for that yet, but we're going to go a little deeper into um, employee training and um, different types of phishing modules and all that kind of good stuff. So stay tuned for that. And then the last bucket is, are you keeping up to date? So that's really auditing yourself, right? So, so we know the risk, it's designed, now it's implemented and now we're gonna audit to make sure it's effective. It's being executed effectively or maybe we had some gaps or whatnot. So that's gonna provide the board or management or an outside party with some type of assurance over the type of program that you have. So, okay, so going a little bit more into the baseline, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time here, um, but really, you know, 
what are your objectives, right? And then you need to perform a, a, you know, what a catalog your assets, like how many servers do you have on site? Are they have, you know, you may think you decommissioned a server, but really it's still, you know, it's still there and it's still posing a threat. So really understanding what's out there. What kind of sensitive information do you take in and do you house or what type of sensitive information do you actually transfer to third party? What are those crown jewels that we need to be protecting? We need to list all those out and then we need to then think about the likelihood and impact of certain risks or certain events that could happen. And what are those ones that are the most impactful to your organization or to the achievement of your objectives? Sometimes, you know, you can put it in Excel, sort it. And when you get to those red ones, you know, high likelihood, high impact, it's like happened before, it's probably going to happen again, or it's happening right now in the industry, you know, ransomware was, you know, huge, it still is, you know, and then kind of sorting what that impact is to you. And then from there going on to then developing your policies and procedures, really focusing on making sure you've got those top risk items covered initially, right? You may not have all the time in the world, but at a minimum, let's do you know the baseline stuff and let's address this risk. Maybe it's ransomware for you. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a significant third party. That's why it's important to really do this initial risk assessment. So then we move on to the cybersecurity program or building out your cybersecurity policies and procedures. Again, those should be based off a risk assessment. You don't just grab something and do it. You need to, you need, it needs to be based off a risk assessment. And this risk assessment needs to be done annually or anytime a significant change has taken place, a significant third party's been added, or you know, you know, you've implemented a new ERP system or any kind of major change, you need to do another risk assessment and adjust your policy and procedures accordingly. Now, what is really helpful is to follow a framework. And we are going to go, Darren's going to go a lot more into this because this is really the nuts and bolts of today's session. But there are a lot of different frameworks that are out there, um, actually like a ton of frameworks that are out there. So first you want to make sure, do you have any like compliance like requirement, right? Is it, you know, HIPAA is, is a well-known one. Um, if you're working for the government, um, a government contractor, you may need to follow NIST. Um, you know, PCI compliance, handling credit cards, all kinds of fun stuff that's out there. Um, but we really do like ISO. If you don't have another competing compliance requirement, we are big fans of ISO. Um, so we're going to probably focus on that one a little more. And it's really great to benchmark yourself against those. You could be doing really good in some areas, but maybe lacking in others. For example, I've seen uh, we'll do a benchmark against ISO. Hey, show us your current policies and procedures. We'll just do a little benchmark here. Oh, you know what? Looks like you're lacking in this vendor management or third-party risk management. And that kind of makes sense because, you know, we've really been moving to the cloud kind of as a society. So we really need to be more robust in this third-party risk management. So it'll like open your eyes to some things that we really need to focus on. So I think it's really helpful to do those benchmarks and then also kind of design your policies and procedures based off um, a good standard that's out there. Those standards are always being updated. I think ISO actually, the latest one may have, Darren, I think I released like sometime this week, like the official update. I don't know that it was made, that was that significant of a change, but they are always being updated. Um, something to look out for. I know it's scheduled. I haven't seen it yet unless I missed it. I looked, I thought I looked yesterday, but I, I could have missed it. I think it got released this week, but we'll see. All right. <laughs> so anyway, on to the next. Um, okay. So we've done the risk assessment. We've, you know, now we've designed our policies and procedures and now we need to implement or educate. So 
you'll see a lot of stuff out there about phishing testing. And I think that's incredibly important. Like I said, um, it's, it's one of the best investments you can make. I believe cyber insurance providers are almost requiring it for many. Um, but also don't forget to make sure your employees are actually reading the updated policies and procedures that you've taken such a long time to design. A lot of times those are in the employee handbook or different places. Um, I, I strongly suggest getting some sort of employee acknowledgement that they have received the information security policies and procedures and that they understand them. And, um, you know, even showing them not just, in, you know, it says, does everyone know the risk? So your, your vendors, your volunteers, uh, third parties, and anyone, any kind of subcontractor is aware of what your, your policy is for handling, um, especially like sensitive data. Let's say you have donor lists. How are those supposed to be transmitted? Are those supposed to be emailed? How are you supposed to share data? How are you supposed to store data? You know, maybe you're working from home, all that kind of important stuff. So educating folks on um, the risks and your policies and procedures is really important. Yeah, and then making sure also that your third-party vendors are following your policies. So for example, sharing passwords or taking data and saving it on their computer instead of the, the resources you provide them. So those, things should be in those, in those policies. And obviously Absolutely. this training is useful for them too. Absolutely. When someone becomes part of your environment, these third parties, used to be we would ask for a network diagram and IT would be like, here's our network diagram. And it'd be like all the stuff that they manage. Now it's like this. It's So when we try to understand an environment, it's a universe of you know cloud ERP system, third parties. And when you, when you bring someone into that universe, your universe, they need to match your standard let's say your standards higher then they need to match your standard or they should not be allowed in and so that's when you get into really looking at your third-party contracts making sure that they're you know signing off that they're going to understand and match that maybe you want to have them have a certain level of cyber insurance and all kinds of fun stuff i really think um third-party risk management is a really really big one probably need a separate webinar on that darren great we have a whole slide for it. let's let's uh, okay good Hope, well if the slide doesn't cover it we might need to add that one that's i'm that's, sure there's that's an hour discussion <laughs> okay so um lastly um are we really protected so this is where the cyber audit comes in and um so you know you, you've gone through the process right and so now the board is asking you know i want to know that we're really protected you know so you want to get some sort of assurance some independent assurance and i think that's great um you know there's penetration tests different types of scans um you know there's i love access control access has just been so huge so many frauds so many malicious actors whether they're an internal threat an external threat access controls, please take a look at those. But even just if you were just going to scope something out, just to look at like how passwords are managed and, or multi-factor, really look at that. Or when someone's terminated, are they getting properly terminated from like all the different cloud applications you have? We're seeing a lot of problems in that area. So maybe look at that. So you think, you know, you hear cyber audit, but there's really so many different types or Maybe just doing a tabletop exercise where you kind of bring everyone together and you come up with a scenario, maybe that scenario that was on your top risk list, you know, maybe it was ransomware, you go through a scenario, we've just been hit with ransomware, what do we do, does everyone actually know what to do. You know, you, you, you've informed them of the policies and procedures, but do they really know? Or let's say all your systems are down. They can't even access the stupid policies and procedures, right? And do they have a hard copy somewhere? Like, what do you do when this actually happens? So making sure that you're ready to go, that's another way to do it. I was asked by someone, I was giving this presentation, I think we were in Chicago, Darren, and they said, well, we only have so much money 
which one in this process should we do? Or, you know, what's the most important part of the process? And so many people go straight to the cyber audit because everyone's the cyber audit. And, you know, obviously we do cyber audits. We'll be happy to do a cyber audit for you. But, you know, uh, what's the most important thing? You know, because you could also do a, you know, a benchmark against ISO. I mean, I think that's important too. Like, because what if you're missing an important element of, you know, third-party risk management or, or, you know, an important element of disaster recovery? You know, when you go through those ISO checklists, you're going to see, you know what, we're really robust in access controls. We're really robust here. We are really lacking in disaster recovery. or th So that's, I think that's valuable. Um, obviously doing a really thorough risk assessment is incredibly valuable as well. So I, I wasn't able to give that individual an answer because I do think it's a pathway for a reason. You have to do the whole thing um, in order to get the most value. You don't just cut to the cyber audit because a lot of times those cyber audits are very uh, siloed in their particular... Oh, my dog. I'm sorry. They're very siloed in their particular um, area of focus. Yeah. So, for example, like a pen test, someone will come out and say, oh, I'd love to have a pen test. Like you see it in the movies. It looks cool. Right. Um, can someone break into our systems? Our IT guy says we're we're 100 percent protected. No one can get in. We're Fort Knox. Um, and maybe, yeah, maybe we can't get into your system. Maybe we can get into somebody else's that you maybe you're leveraging the smaller third party for your CRM we get into there and then we come across because we have access to a system that is pulling data from your maybe your financial system or something like that so there are different ways to get in we would theoretically have access that way um, I've actually heard a story where someone got in via the phone system and they got into the phone system because that was publicly facing because people could work remotely with their 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 phones, and what they did is, well, I, I can't, I don't know anybody's password, I can't break into anybody's password. So what they did was, they got into the phone system and they said started doing um, password re password reset requests via send me instead of text messages, call me. They so they forwarded the phone number to their cell phone number, so they were just doing that whole back end way to to steal information. But it can be done. So there's different ways that you don't necessarily think about. Yeah. And, you know, I like that last bullet point also, you know, so Darren used to work in a managed service provider. So he's like our secret weapon, <laughs> but a lot of times, let's say, you you know, so many people are outsourcing, right? Third parties, you may outsource your IT. Um, so you're, so a lot of times they don't think that they need to do um, like some kind of cyber audit, or they think that maybe they don't need um, information security policies and procedures, which is, you know, so you absolutely do. And if you outsource to a third party, you absolutely should be auditing them to make sure they're properly handling your data as well. So that's a question we sometimes get. And absolutely, let's say you outsource to a bookkeeper, you would still do a financial statement audit um, to, and you know, there, there are sometimes errors there. So absolutely hold those third parties accountable. That's third party risk management. So that folds right into that. And those audits aren't necessarily to be like, oh, you're doing a bad job. We should get rid of this organization or this company. No, it's just like maybe there's a gap. Maybe their contract doesn't say we're going to cover this asset. Maybe it's just they're in a small purview that does one thing and they're doing that perfect. But maybe there's that one gap right outside of it that still is a significant weakness. You know, to your that's a good point because a lot of times managed service providers do not manage the website. And there's sometimes a lot of risk at the website level. And the client we've found will sometimes think the managed service provider is the one that oversees the you know, security of the website. So there's sometimes a lot of confusion on who's really doing what. They also usually don't do the finance, they do the accounting system, which is no, they don't. I mean, it's not necessarily a bad thing that doesn't happen, but 
now there's got to be controls for that, those internal things, which I know the, the audit does cover some of those, but well, it's just no, another thing. IT that, used to manage that, or you know what I mean? The ERP, when, when the servers were on site or whatnot, and now it's in the cloud. So the world has definitely changed. So we have to really understand. And that, that really just goes back to the risk assessment too, is who's doing what, what are our risks and you know where is it at? So I think that segues us well into really kind of why we're here today is why use the cybersecurity framework. So I'm going to turn it over to Darren. Well, cybersecurity frameworks are great. So that's about it. Have a nice <laughs> um, no, but yeah, so obviously, yes, they're great. Um, and Ohio is one of the first states to actually put in this, this safe harbor um, against breaching lawsuits for organizations that do actually follow a, a compliance, an industry standard compliance framework. So some of them are um, the NIST ones, NIST, uh, 853-171, ISO 27001. Um, if you go on the like Microsoft's website or Microsoft Azure's website, Google Cloud, um, AWS, you can type, get, like sh show me the uh, certificate of your ISO 27001. That's, they have that one, they're international organizations. That's really why we like ISO so much because we deal with clients that are all over the world, um, not just in the US, so international, so international, organizations understand those and, and, and follow it. Where NIST is very government centric. So obviously we're, our headquarters is in DC. So yes, we do have government contractor clients that, hey, yeah, this is probably really great for you because you have to have it to get a government contract. Um, some other ones are um, the CIS uh, top 20, the SANS top 20 is the old name for it. SOC 2 is signed off by a CPA for an IT thing. I won't get too far into that one. That still puzzles me to, to this day. So this is going to be if someone's holding your data in the cloud. So Microsoft, once again, has these, um, all the big ones, Salesforce, all those guys. Um, but you really, you can, and you can ask for it. You'll most likely have to sign an NDA that you won't share with the information in there with, with other people or post it online and so forth. But it really does give you a lot of information about potential weaknesses to the organization, but it is audited by a third party. So you can see it's not just management trying to, Say, oh, we're we're perfect. We're are really, really secure. And obviously, HIP. Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Finish. With I would me. say um, HIPAA um, is the the health the health act. Um, FISMA, which is another another government um, one as well, and then PCI DSS, which everybody's probably heard something about with Target in the past and Home Depot and whoever else has lost our information with credit mm -hmm. cards. Well, yeah, speaking of, you know, PCI, it's important if you do have someone, a third party interfacing on your website that is collecting credit card information, you will want to make sure they're PCI certified. Uh, we did have a client recently that was using a third party that had on their website the little PCI sticker. Well, it turned out they were not actually PCI certified. They did not have multi-factor and that third party um, caused a lot of damage to our clients. So that again, third-party risk management, if you're engaging with a third party and they need to comply with a standard before engaging with them, you should make sure that they you know, are doing what they supposed to, they're supposed they supposed to be doing, request evidence of that. And you may even want to do it annually. It could be that they were certified at some point and lost their certification. So you might want to build that in annually. I just wanted to point out that concept of reasonable security is also uh, noted in GDPR as well. Um, but, and, you know, I love, I'm from Ohio, so I'm pr proud of Ohio for this, but like, it's, it's not necessarily a compliance, you know, but they're basically saying if you're, if you're executing reasonable security, and that can be demonstrated by following a framework, you know, you're going to be, you know, 
less likely to experience these, you know, be, you know, found liable for these breach lawsuits. And even if this law, like, so Ohio has this data protection act in place, but I think that it would still apply anywhere. If, if you can demonstrate that you're not negligent, that's going to go a very long way. So that's just another reason why you should really follow some sort of framework. Yeah. And this, and this law that isn't a get out of jail free card for anybody also. I mean, that there's different um, factors that go into it, such as like the size of the organization, um, the complexity of it, um, what kind of budget they put towards cybersecurity and protecting the data. So it's not just like only the big people can can use this. Like anybody can use it. If you're a small organization, like a mom and pop type type organization, like you can still, if you follow these and 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 follow what what is in there in that guideline of okay, this is how we protect our stuff, and you could theoretically be covered by it. Um, obviously, I'm not a lawyer, so don't take legal advice from me. <laughs> um, yeah, but it gives the incentive to people to, if you follow one of these, and that's the great thing about reasonable security, none of these are like a law that you have to do. Um, NIST, I'd say probably NIST and FISMA are the only two that you have to do because you can't get a government contract without them. Um, PCI DSS is not a law like the, um, what was it? Amex, MasterCard, and Visa are the ones that kind of say you need to do this. Otherwise, we'll fine you, but they pass those fines along to your bank, which then your bank passes it along to you. But most people don't get fined if they don't have it, which is a really weird um, policy they have or how they, how they push out those fines. I'm not necessarily sure, but it's not a theoretical requirement, which is strange to me. And I think it's more, you don't want to engage that third party if they're not compliant. Right. For, well, I'm surprised even like the large ones. companies yet haven't, haven't had get pushed down by like Congress or something saying like, there's been too many data breaches out there. We have to do something to stop oh, it. Oh, it's probably are, coming. Oh yeah. They're, it's definitely <laughs> coming. Winter is coming. <laughs> Game of Thrones one for, sorry if no one likes it. Um, yeah, but going why why ISA twenty seven thousand one? I know I covered it a little bit before, but I'll go into a little more depth. Um, it's an internationally recognized framework. Um, it you can scope it to say you want to just cover marketing or maybe dev DevOps, um, anything you want. You can say just one particular side of the organization, or you can do the entire organization. So it it really helps large and small organizations who want to um, have a, a compliance framework can do it. They can scope it down to exactly what they want to do. They feel like this is our most critical process in our organization that collects all the PII. So let's just make that, make that ISO um, 27001 compliant. And yes, I double checked when Melissa was talking, it did come out. So it is out, get your copy and, and have fun with it. Um, you can, another great thing about it is as of the, the old version, the newer version, I know it cut down on the amount of controls. The, Current controls for the 27,001 2013 version is 114 controls. And the great part about it is you don't have to use them all. You don't have to use any of them. You can select, it is easier to select them. So what you do is you go in there, you say out of 114 controls, after you do your risk assessment, you say, here's my 114 controls. I wanna use all of these. Great. Now you have to have, now you actually have to use them or you just say not applicable. We don't wanna use this one. And then you just have to say why we're not going to use it because our risk assessment said we don't have an issue here. We're covered already. Um, and the update is expected in 2022. It is already out. So me updating the slide is going to be the next thing I do.
Um, another reason why um, I really like this graphic um, that organizations um, that had individuals that were certified against ISO 27001, these are what they said why it was so great. Um, so I'll start on the right, so I'm gonna change it up. So 55% were from legal and compliance. So maybe there was a government contract or some sort of contract that they had to do it. Another one is maybe get that competitive advantage. If you're showing people out there, hey, we're, we're secure. If you give us the data, it's gonna be protected. I mean, we're following an international standard. We're not just saying we're secure, don't worry about it. Um, and some was just, just to improve the security. I mean, your state, your individual stakeholders are gonna feel better about, hey, we've gone out and gone the extra mile to make sure your data, your data is secure. We don't really want anything more than that. We just want you to feel like you're secure. And from a marketing perspective, that's great. People are gonna say, well, John down the street, he's, he's more secure. He, like he has this certification, what, what do you have? Um, and then the other one is uh, an investment is just fully justified by the benefits, which I guess kind of goes in the other one, at least how I, I like to view it. Um, then next, the ISO uh, 27,000 uh, family standards. So everybody knows ISO, or not everybody, but a lot of people know ISO 27001, which there are a lot of ISO 27000 series. I just have a couple of them here, which really go along together. Um, the main one is ISO 27001. That's why I have it bold. It's the actual requirements for the, the uh, standard. And from there, you have all the different ones. So ISO 27000 by itself is just the vocabulary overview, what we're about type stuff. Um, ISO 27002 is the actual um, implementation guidance for the 114 control. So it goes, the actual standard would say, you need to do this X, Y, and Z. And then 27002 says, well, this is how you can do it. Here's some different examples of, of ways you can implement. Um, and then ISO just isn't those 114 controls. You have um, clauses four through 11 that you really have to do. And with those clauses, it's like, um, there's internal audit function that you need to get done. So you have to have someone do an internal audit. You can hire that out to do an internal audit. Um, so that's some of them. Uh, management buy-in is, is just one person in IT that's kind of like, let's get ISO certified or is management actively involved and, and wants this. Um, and you'd have to show like evidence of um, like meeting minutes, email um, communication back and forth, stuff like that. And you can, this is guidance on how to implement those control, those clauses. And then ISO 27004 um, describes how to how to evaluate systems. So you so one of the, the measurement items in the clauses is how do you measure that compliance is how it's going like year over year. And this shows some, some metrics that you can pull and, and set up that. And then 27005 is risk management, which that outlines um, conducting an information risk assessment, which being compliance with. ISO 27001. So these are all building on top of each other and really, instead of having one document that's like a thousand pages long, we just split them up into smaller ones. Um, 27006 is the third party audit. So when you actually get that seal of approval that says we are ISO certified. So it's those audit guidelines of what that external auditor has to follow. And then 27007 is the internal audit guidelines. So what does the internal audit function look like? How does it work? What's the audit plan look like? Um, guidance from that perspective. Okay. And then, so I'm gonna show a, a benchmarking tool or a compliance tool. Every, you can look at it from both perspectives. Um, let me slide my screen over. 
already. So from here, so we can pick any program. We're gonna do ISO 27001 today, um, the 2013 standard. Um, and ISO updates it every seven years. So when you say 2013 or not seven years, I'm bad at math. That's a longer time than that. People can do, people can do that math. Um, but anyways, you can pick all the different ones. So I was mentioning the CIS, the SANS top 20. There's the, you have the older version, the 7.1, you got 8.0, CMMC, the, the government's uh, doing that again. So we'll see how, how that goes. GDPR, FedRAMP, HIPAA, we have ISO, we have different NIST ones down here, um, PCI. So there's all these different ones in here, SOC 2. So you can select which, which standard you wanna look at. And, and benchmark yourself against. Um, this tool can be used. We, um, when we do our benchmarks, we kind of handle it and kind of give the report to our clients. We can give access to this if this is something that you want to take on and, and run and just use the, use the technology. Um, so on the side over here, we can have like a document library. And I guess I, there we go. I just have one item in here, it's an information security policy. So instead of saving these all in different places, when you, if you get audited, you don't have to go, oh, where's all these policies? I have to go grab them from, from our file server. I have to grab them from our SharePoint. I got to grab it from our box.com. I got to grab it from all these different places, which I know everybody has files all over the place. One central repository for this. And you can, you can, uh, you can attach which controls you're doing with it. From here, next, you can, you can make different tasks. So for this example, I have assigned cybersecurity training on an annual basis and then update the information security policy on an annual basis. You can assign that out. You can schedule it out. Um, you can say it's being worked on. So these items can be moved around as they're being done. So for this one, I'll open it up. So I can assign, I've already assigned it to Tom. So Tom has, so Tom has some work to do. And then I can attach different documents to it. So say the information security policy says, I need you to update it yearly. I can schedule an alert that says, hey, you get this email. When that schedule comes up, he's gonna get the email that says it needs to be done and the policy's already attached. So it's living there. He can get it if he needs to update it or just make the check off. Hey, nothing's changed in our environment this year. The policy's good. Let me just comment that I've looked it over and, and we're good from that perspective. And obviously assigning that, that training and these can be moved over. So if, there's, if it needs to be for review, so Tom would move it to review, maybe John needs to review it. And then approval, maybe HR is the one that approves it or whoever the organization does. Or maybe he comes out and says, hey, there's some remediations that need to be done. So let's throw it into this category. So you can move it around however you need. Um, and then from the control activities, so we can assign different control activities that we're doing. So everything's saved on um, the Google Drive in this example. Uh, the next one is the risk manager. This is a really fun one. Um, from here, I have one risk in here, so let me pull up that list. So say we have ransomware. So we did our risk assessment. We find out, oh, the only thing we have is potential ransomware. That's the only thing that can get us. That That is not going to be the case for anybody. Um, so what we can do in here is we can say, well, let me edit it. So we can select an owner. Who, who's the risk owner? Who's the top level that's going to be this? Maybe it would be the CTO. And the CTO is probably going to assign it to, to Darren because he's in IT. So... So Darren's going to be the one working on it, but the CTO is the ultimate one responsible for it. And he will report it to the board if it gets to the, be one of the top risks to the organization. And that comes into enterprise risk management. I know we probably have a webinar on that, at least a white paper. We got something. 
Um, so you can put all this different stuff in here. You can say the cost or the budget, maybe we need to get a new antivirus or a new technology to, to help us. And then you can see at the very end, from the IT perspective, we need, our budget needs to be this, or we can try and push to increase our budget, or maybe we don't need that much. Maybe we're in a good, good, um, good spot. We get the likelihood and impact of it, of an issue happening from the inherent risk and then the residual risk after we put in this new technology, what is our risk still? And once again, you can put comments and you can attach different documents in here. And then once we have all of our items in here, we see it on the dashboard and we get this, this heat map that shows where's our risk. And then we, at the very end, we can say, well, our, our risks are the, the ones in the red. And we can identify, we have 30 risks there. Like we have nothing in the green. We, we're super risky right now. Like what are we doing to, to change this? Um, and I mentioned the, the clauses over here. Sorry, I'm looking at my other screen, which is showing the webinar. Um, so we can go into here and the same thing. So we have the guidance from, from ISO that says what you need to do. So we have the three different ones under the under 6.0, which is about the, um, the risk assessment. And then we have an action plan, what we need to do, what kind of related documents we should have. So the, that SOA, the statement of applicability is what I was talking about. You kind of select out of those 114 controls. We need to have all of these and then explain why we're not using them because you don't have to use them. Um, we can assign start and end dates to different things. So we can say, I need this done by the end of the month. Otherwise we can't get our external audit or internal audit teams pushing for us to get this done. So that's some of the different things we can, we can see in here. You can obviously assign those tasks out and budgets for maybe the internal audit function or, or whatnot. Um, and then the controls as well. So that's how we do the benchmark at the very top. You can see it's 0% completed, but as you complete it, you can see what, what is being done. So let me go to that assessment. So let me, so from here it's okay. Do we, do we have an information security policy that that staff knows about? Do they sign off on it? Yes, no. And then obviously the score will rise or, or go down. We can take notes um, about the process. So this is how we kind of benchmark when we do our assessments and we obviously provide a, a super wonderful report that everybody loves. Um, but this is a technology that you can use as well. Um, you can track it on an annual basis, like how are we doing? So it's continuously updated and you can see like the graph of, okay, we are doing great. Just keep going up so you can show the board or the stakeholders, hey, our, we may not be going to get an actual certification for ISO or NIST or whatever compliance framework we wanna benchmark ourselves against, but we can see year over year how we're doing. Are we continuously going up and being a more secure organization? Um, let's see what else we got. So- I was gonna note that um, you know some of the controls that are listed in there cross map to other ones. I know with uh, US government, CMMC was kind of um, struggling a little bit. And so we did start to see the US government asking for ISO certification, so there could be proof of some sort of, you know, compliance with ISO, but a lot of those controls cross map to NIST or cross map to other ones. So once you enter, you know, that you, you're executing against a control, the software helps cross map and helps you kind of see visually, you know, how far away are you from then? Once you're, you know, good with ISO, what else do I have to do to get to, you know, NIST certification? It just helps show a better picture. Yeah, it definitely shows that how, how that cross cross maps or crosswalks. I think every vendor is slightly different what they what they call it. But yeah, you're 100% there. Maybe we're, we just need to do two more things to get missed. So why not? We can say we're 
super secure. Um, and see, so these are some of the recommended policies. Like we recommend organizations at like a, a bare minimum, they should have these or something very similar to these. Um, so information security policy kind of establishes the objectives of the organization. Um, they aligned with the, like Melissa mentioned, the strategic uh, plan of the organization. So what are we doing to protect our strategic plan? Um, you inventory all those assets and this information security policy, I've seen it multiple ways where this policy is actually just a huge long document or it can be kind of separated into separate um, policies. Depending on the size of the organization, you may want individual policies or like individual complete documents or just one massive conglomerate that has all the other policies we're going to cover inside that information security policy just titled differently. Um, so access control, I know Melissa touched on that earlier, that's super important. Um, when you have a third party vendor come in, like we mentioned, are they using MFA or just, just staff using MFA, multi-factor authentication or single sign-on? Um, are third parties, are they sharing credentials? Or did you give them each person at that organization? Did you give them each a, give them each a login? Um, and it outlines what um, what business units have data. So maybe IT is in control of the accounting system, or is it in control of like um, the, some of the marketing tools, or some other tool that that department went out and got. So how is that information being told? Is is IT ultimately being said, hey, we have a uh, a marketing tool we use, but we need you to have an account just in case somebody from marketing decides to leave the organization and we lose the password. How do we get back in? Because IT, you can't come to IT because we don't know the information because <laughs> we're not involved in that process. So some things to think about from that perspective. And then I'd note for um, access control and you know, sometimes like Darren was saying, you can see them all in one document or sometimes they're in different documents. It depends on your context. But let's just even as it relates, sometimes I see it under, you know, the accounting policies when it's just access control as it relates to the accounting system, because again, now IT might not even manage the accounting system because it's in the cloud, right? So, but at a minimum, we also need to think about, so who, you get a new employee, who determines what access they have and is it appropriate and what's that level of approval to, you know, assign those people and then how are you making sure there's segregation of duties within the systems. And that's so important, you know, segregate, you know, someone that enters HR data can't also run payroll, right? There's some real basic things you never want to cross. I mean, that's, that's an easy way for fraud, right? Or, or let's say the vendor file, can someone access the vendor file at a vendor and then also cut checks. So access, so I'm obsessed with access control because it's such a big deal. And since the control has kind of gone away from IT and it's, you know, maybe with some other people or like Darren saying, you know, you've got your customer relationship management, someone could go in and steal customer data, donor data. So how are we controlling the access? How are you reviewing the, what are, are, are access reviews done quarterly? You know, you should have that in your access control. You should have that in your policy. Someone in that unit should go in and make sure access is still appropriate because someone could change jobs but maybe they still have access to something that they shouldn't have had access to. It's not, so you only don't just do it when someone's hired or when they're terminated. That's why you need to do quarterly access reviews or at least annual, but I would suggest quarterly building that into every significant system that there is. And then obviously termination, making sure they're terminated from everything. But what about those cloud systems or God forbid you have some shared passwords. When someone um, leaves the organization, are those shared passwords? Um, changed. Now, I'm not advocating for shared passwords 
but if for some reason you're using them, you know, like, so we really need to think about it. We we've, um, this past couple of years, right, Darren, with COVID, we've seen some pretty scary stuff in this area. So just really wanted to hammer that for everyone to think about. And if it's written in your policy, people are going to get trained on it and people are going to know it. So beef up your access control policy. Right. And the point of the policy is also to have staff or everybody, not just staff, everybody to understand what their role is in, in, in access control. So they become responsible and then you have to have repercussions for things, just like in anything. If nothing happens, like my kid decides I'm going to go eat candy before dinner, then obviously he's not going to eat dinner and my wife's going to be really mad at me because I gave him candy, but there's going to be repercussions for him and me for, for letting that happen. So it's just like in life, like there has to be some sort of repercussion for something happening. It could be someone doing it, not intentionally, but it does happen. If there's no repercussion, then it's just going to keep happening and, and snowballing. Uh, the next one is cybersecurity awareness training, which is perfect. It's like, how often will this be administered? So recommend at least twice a year at a minimum. Um, more often is better because training is always changing. Hackers are always thinking of new ways to get into systems, new way to social engineer somebody. So it's always changing. So I know you don't want to be overburdensome to staff, but ultimately that's the cheapest technology you can get that is going to save your organization. And then who's required to take it? Is it just C-suite doesn't have to do it? Is it do contractors have to do it that have access to your system or is it just staff? It realistically should be everybody. Everybody who can get on the network can cause big problems for the network. And then what happens if people don't, don't get access? I mean, my favorite one is just disable their access. You have a week to complete the train. If you don't do it, then you can't get on the network because you haven't proved to us that you're safe. Um, an acceptable use policy. This is usually the one that we see from the audit side that people are like, this is our information security policy. Unfortunately, it's not. It's a great part of it. It is a great part, but like I said, the access control and the other things we're going to cover is really with the, the all-encompassing portion that we're looking for. So acceptable use policy is what you think of. It's like you can use the internet for work only. You can't use it for Facebook, Instagram, all the, all the fun stuff. Um, the confidentiality, it's like you have access, you potentially have access to sensitive information. You can't be sharing that. Um, I guess the, the easiest one people think about is HIPAA. You can't share medical information with your friends. You can't say, John has X, Y, and Z, and oh my gosh. Um, so yeah, confidentiality. Like you have sensitive information, you just can't share it or use it for your own, own good. You can't like, say, I'm gonna leave the organization and start my own business and have, I just took your whole client list, thanks. Um, it's different things like that. And then obviously the company goes, well, we're gonna monitor what you're doing. Sometimes companies do, sometimes they don't. Sometimes that's just thrown in there to, to say, big brother always has the opportunity to watch what you're doing. For the most part, they probably do. They have some sort of log of what, what's going on, which is super important for if ransomware ever happens or something happens on the network, like having those logs are super important. That's another policy in itself is how do we do monitoring? How do we do logs? It's more of like an IT policy. It's not really like a, a staff publicly facing one. It's usually like C-suite and the internal IT department. And obviously enforcement, like I said, comes down to enforcement. Like what happens if people are going to different websites? I mean, most likely they're gonna be blocked by your content filter, but what if, what if somebody steals all of the information and goes and, goes and sells it, for example? What happens to that person? Still an employee? I, I don't know. That's up to the organization. 
You know, Darren, you bring up a good point about the monitoring. Again, you know, it sometimes it kind of used to be about IT monitoring the activity, but now we're in a cloud environment in some cases. And yes, there's the IT monitoring and the acceptable use policy is kind of really like a legal, you know, stamp. You've been informed of this and that we're doing this. But then, you know, speaking of monitoring, we've run into situations where clients needed to kind of go back and be like, what happened? Did somebody access something they shouldn't have? And maybe those audit logs were not turned on to their ERP system that's in the cloud, or maybe their vendor payment system. So you'll want to go back and make sure that you're keeping audit logs um, for a sufficient period of time. So go back to your vendor, make sure you have access. God forbid something happens, you want to be able to see what user accessed what. And so when things are all in the cloud and you got all these different vendors, it's good to have your own policy so that as a firm, why you know, okay, this is kind of our expectation. We need a minimum of one year of logs um, to monitor. So that's something good to be putting into the policy and thinking about. And then the, the next one is incident response and disaster recovery policies. And I know um, we didn't throw in business continuity because when I think of business continuity, I think of the entire organization. We're obviously talking about the cyber side, the IT realm. So disaster recovery usually fall is part of the BCP or business continuity, but it's like the IT function of it. At least that's the way I think about it. Um, so how does your organization respond in the event of a disaster or an incident? Is there a plan? Does anybody, does, do we have a cyber insurance? Who's responsible for calling the cyber insurance and saying, hey, we've had an, a breach or we've had an incident? If, I like using John as the example. So if anybody knows anybody named John, sorry for picking John today. Um, if John's on vacation, maybe he's out camping doesn't have cell phone reception are we just going to say ah we'll just sit on it for the week no you probably can't if it's ransomware you probably can't do that because you're not getting much work done um and then do you have cyber insurance who's who's responsible for contacting them who's responsible for contacting the stakeholders do we have a like a pr firm or does marketing handle um how do we communicate what happened to everybody do we need to set up um credit monitoring because that's the the one everybody wants Everybody probably already has it from all the other breaches we've suffered throughout the last couple of years. <laughs> and then who determined that it was an actual incident? Like you don't want to be too premature and say, I got ransomware and call the cyber insurance. Like, do you have an IT person or an IT guru or someone who wears that IT hat that says, uh, no, that's that's just scareware. That's not an actual virus. Like we're we're okay. So who actually determines that we've hit that threshold of yes, we need a call? So that's something super important to to um, communicate and it's like, how do we recover from this? Do we have backups? That's, that's excellent. So um, obviously I've seen a very huge disaster recovery plan documents and I've seen some pretty, pretty basic ones. So if you don't have one, at least start with the basic one to like Darren's point, who do you call? I've seen some folks make some missteps and obviously, you know, you're in a panic or you don't know what to do. So just having some basic instructions on here's our attorney to call, here's our cyber insurance. I've seen folks like actually try to engage other forensic firms, not realizing that the cyber insurance is going to make them go with a particular firm under their coverage. So you got to call them first possibly. And then, you know, you may want to call, you know, your attorney or you're going to want to call a PR firm and you're not going to want to try to interview folks or try to find an attorney or a PR firm in the in the 72 hours you have to deal with this you're going to have all of this lined up uh you'll probably want to you know know the local FBI office number and who to call so if you got some of those numbers already written down and jotted down at a minimum 
um, and have it somewhere that it's maybe not on your systems, but maybe, you know, key employees desks at home um, so that they know what to do. So at a minimum, start with that and then obviously grow it and make it more robust um, as you move along. And a lot of times we see people that say, oh, we're all cloud-based, like we don't need a disaster recovery program. Well, yes and no. Like you still need to know who to contact, what to do. Yes, you're pushing a lot of that to Microsoft, Google, and so forth and saying, well, they'll keep the things up. Well, they don't necessarily back up your data. They have redundancy upon redundancy in multiple servers, locations around the world where they save that stuff. But ultimately, if Microsoft blew up, let's say, uh, there's potential your data could be lost. It like says it in the in the contract language when you sign up for 365 and so forth. So some companies have elected to have their own backups. I'm not saying go out and do it because Microsoft's going to go down today, but it's a risk. So it depends on the organization's risk, which is the next slide, which is third-party risk management. If my but oh, there we go. So third-party risk management. It's like and what threshold. Um, of the risk is the organization willing to accept? So we're going to accept it, we're going to mitigate it, we're going to transfer it, or are we going to um, capitalize on it? Or are we going to take that opportunity? Because every risk, there's potentially an opportunity. Maybe it's like, we don't want to work in this area of the world because it's super dangerous. Well, you're not going there and John wants to go there. I mean, maybe he can make a lot of money or help a lot of people or, or do something there. Um, and then how often does the organization perform those risk assessments on those third parties? So yes, like I said, like those SOC reports are, are a great thing to have. Um, ISO certifications, um, ISO you have to have, it's a three year process. You get the, the external audit and then the years after that you have your, um, your site surveys where someone comes out and still does another like mini audit, um, the year two and year three, and then you go for your certification audit again. Um, and then it helps you, helps design security controls are, the third parties following your information security policy. Like Melissa mentioned, they may have one that can't be your information security policy because you're most likely not doing the exact same things they're doing. A lot of times I hear um, people say, well, my third, my IT, my third party IT, they have, they, they have my um, information security policy. I'm like, okay, that that's theirs. They can help you write yours. No problem. Like they will 100% help you write it. Um, it might be an additional cost, but they'll help, help you write it. But that, they're doing a lot of different things than you're doing. Like they have different systems than what they're probably sold you to, to use. Um, and then do they have cyber liability insurance? Maybe, maybe not. Like if they have a breach, um, a, a recent one, Kaseya, or not recent, well, a year ago, Kaseya is a, a product that remotes into people's computers and IT uses to help. Um, a lot of third parties use it to remote and help you with your computers. If Kaseya had a breach, which then, connected into your systems or are you responsible for pain if you have a breach or is it your third party IT that's responsible? So that's a conversation to be had. Um, and then the, I think one of the last ones is the data classification policy. It's like if we collect PII, where is that stored? It's always stored in, in box.com under folder PII or, or whatever it is. And then do we have any compliance requirements for this? Um, do we have GDPR? So do we have to, um, do we have to, um, what's it called? Allow people to, to erase their data, the erasure clause that we have to have in our privacy policy. People can come in and say, I don't want, I don't, I'm no longer affiliated. I don't want to do business with your organization anymore. Can you please remove all my data? 
do you know how to delete all their data? Do you know where all their data is or is it just like a muck? Is it just like a final needle in a haystack? Especially with PII information, if you ever had a breach and that social security number is found, it's like, well, you shouldn't have their social security number anymore, then there's, there's problems there. Um, and then how is that data transferred? Are you able to send like social security numbers through email? Like probably not. A lot of um, software should stop you from doing that. Um, we're obviously a CPA firm and people try to email us their social security numbers all the time. Like you have my taxes. I'm like, no, don't do that. Obviously we block it so people can't send it to us. It just gives them a rejection. And then who's responsible for re reviewing who has access to these critical locations where PII is saved? Um, that's all some of the stuff that should be in there. Um, there's definitely a lot more, um, but yeah. All right, awesome. So in order to help you do that, um, you know, that policy, it's also helpful to do a sensitive data map too, because sometimes you really just might not know where all your sensitive data is going. So maybe doing an initial, again, baseline, and like Darren was saying, you can do this whole process on sets of data, but when it, and if, if sensitive information is uh, of key importance to you, doing a data map, really understanding, you know, we collect the sensitive data this way and it goes into all these different systems. And then you can actually give a policy to say, you should only do this with this data. You should never email donor information. You should only share it this way. And then like Darren was saying, you could have your IT um, also add controls on top of that, like some preventative controls to just not allow it or to notify someone at that data is somewhere that it shouldn't be. So very important. So anyway, some just quick takeaways. In our first session, we did, um, we showed folks about the external kind of cyber risk scores and scans that are out there. I can run a scan on anyone and I can basically see your score and just we're trying to make people really uh, aware of that. So for example, if you're going to get cyber insurance, um, your insurance provider is going to run a scan on you and you may get a pretty bad score. So it's kind of open source threat information that's out there. So just wanted to make everyone aware of that. So again, we have more information on our website or feel free to reach out, but um, real important to know your baseline or you really can't design your controls. So do the risk assessment. You can do them in little segments like we just talked about work to develop your program. And we kind of gave you some highlights um, of some basic policies you should have. We knew we had a lot of different people in the audience. So we tried to give everyone a little bit of something, some of the basic policies, but then also if you're really kind of more advanced and you're interested in the softwares that we have to help you benchmark, wanted to give you some ideas of what kind of great technology that's out there. And um, also we do offer um, information security training and phishing simulation. Darren um, and his team do an excellent job. So feel free to um, reach out on that as well. And then finally, trust but verify. Um, you know, if you're interested in any type of cybersecurity audit, please don't hesitate to reach out. So hope you guys enjoyed our webinar. Um, stay tuned for some um, future webinars that'll be coming out. I think for sure we'll be doing one on training and uh, I think probably a third party one's probably necessary <laughs> for us to do possibly Darren. So anyway, thanks everybody. Thank you for listening to the GRF on the Co podcast. Visit our website at grfcpa.com for more information about the services we provide, the industries we serve, or to request a quote.